All right. It looks, it looks like a full house today. I'm excited to be here. My name is John Keeler. I'm one of the pastors on staff at Grace, and we're glad to have you joining us to worship. And um, as Sharon said, and as the kids showed you, it is an exciting time to be here at Grace. I hope you feel the energy in the room. Um, I was going to keep a couple of little guys uh, up here with me so that, you know, maybe if I say something you don't agree with, you just, you know, can look at a cute face instead. Um, but no, it, you know, it's, it, it's an exciting time. I actually thought the flowers were for me, but now that I realize that it was a women's conference yesterday, it definitely explains things better. But no, we have had so much going on here, and really, um, in, just in connection with our Q&A session about our project um, after the service, it's for what you, you heard and saw, right? You see all these kids, you see that we, you know, we're having women's um, events and conferences, and um, that space um, is, is much needed, that we're going to be occupying, um, hopefully, um, in the near future. So uh, stick around, and, and we'll talk about that. So last week, um, we covered the exciting topic of Romans 13 and government, Christians and authority. And it was intentionally uh, left as kind of a cliffhanger, right? I hope you felt the tension. You wanted to come back. Like, well, what about those exceptions? What about the rule breakers? When do we get to disobey government? Well, we'll talk about that today. And we'll, we'll, we'll definitely dive in because this is where it gets really tricky. So, but I came across a story, um, a short story that was a little concerning on this topic. It's, I think it's what most people in America, um, church leaders, are concerned about. So I, I came across a story that happened in California. The tax department issued a, a broadly worded form, an affidavit, um, that all churches and nonprofits had to sign that basically, in a nutshell, said, we will not participate in any political activities. It seems kind of benign. Um, but what would concern me if I were one of the church leaders that would have to sign that is, you know, think of the times when so-called political issues would have to be addressed in a church. Um, I can think of a, a few, capital punishment issues, um, pro-life, pro-choice arguments and discussions, defending um, innocent lives. Um, our hot topic for, for the day, uh, gender um, identity, right, sexual orientation issues. Um, we have to talk about those. They're biblical, and we're commanded to do that. So a few Baptist churches with the same concerns um, refused to sign the form and were promptly shut down. So that was very concerning to me, and I hadn't heard much about it, so I was really, you know, if, if we learned anything today, right, we want to dig, find the, the truth, the information. And so I decided to look into that a little bit more, and um, I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get to the rest of that story later. <clears throat> Dear Lord, thank you so much. Um, you are our sovereign Lord, our God of all the universe, the creator we praise you for that, and we just thank you so much for all that you've done, for your design, um, your unchanging love for us, your divine plan, even in our sinfulness. Even in the fallen sinfulness of man, you have ordained government for order and authority. You've given us um, a perfect model. You've given us the word of God to show us how to live in this world. We just ask that you open our, our hearts and our minds to your word, that we may hear it, 
for what it is, the only truth. Amen. So if you'll turn with me to Romans 13, we're just going to, it's going to be up on the screen as well. Um, we're going to look at that beginning, the beginning two verses that we covered last week, which is really kind of the, the foundation for this, this two-part series. And we're talking about when Christians must submit to divinely established governing authorities. So Romans 13, 1 through 2. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Pretty simple. Um, we re, you know, just to reiterate what we covered last week, there were two main things I, I want to make sure we remember. One, this wasn't a conditional statement from Paul. He wasn't saying submit to moral, good governments. He really said every government, all people, all the time. And we know that you know, the, the, the Roman government at the time was corrupt. It was, um, you know, slavery was rampant. Tax extortion we talked about. Absolute dictatorship. Um, you know, the famous Nero um, who burned the city and, and, and blamed it on the Christians. Um, so if it happened to be applicable then, I think we can pretty much say even in, in our country and our government. So there aren't any exceptions according to Paul in, in, this, in this, these verses. Second, he didn't just move right through and, and start talking about Christian love again or anything like that. He, he backed up that statement with five um, verses full of um, seven basic principles, and we won't cover them, but the main ones we wanted to focus on is just quite simply, government is ordained by God, and rebellion against government is rebellion against God. So that was the clear message, um, and, and I think you'll remember, and we're going to put uh, a couple slides up just for a summary. I backed that up with three other New Testament scriptures that are giving the same message so that we're clear. Um, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15, I'll just summarize these, and you can um, jot them down if you missed last week. But this ver this, these verses say, Submit, because it's for the Lord's sake to every human institution, and that such is the will of God, so that we silence the ignorance of foolish men. And in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, Paul was making it clear that we're to pray, make entreaties, petitions, thanksgiving, on behalf of all who are in authority. Why? So that we may live tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. Okay? And then the last one we looked at in detail last week was um, Titus 3, 1 through 2. And, and in it, um, Paul was talking to Titus and the churches and pastors in Crete, and he was telling them, be subject to rulers, to authorities, and be obedient. So we definitely had a bulletproof case last week that general universal rule is Christians must obey. We're, we're to do the higher thing. We're to submit. But as I said last week, we, we do know that generally, uh, I, I think some people believe all rules have exceptions. I think generally you can find a few exceptions to almost every rule. And thank you for hanging in till this week to talk about those because the two that we talked about last week, just briefly and introduced them as one, when the government tells us to 
not do something that we're supposed to do, that God commands us to do. We'll, we'll look at that. Or when the authorities tell you to do something that you obviously cannot do. God tells you not to do it. It's a sin. So if we come across those situations, we must obey God over government. And I think about this. So when we looked at those verses from Paul, the beginning of Romans 13 and all the ones that I, that I mentioned in the New Testament, they don't list an exception. So if we're, if we're really going to handle exceptions right, let's do what we should and, and go back to the word of God and, and, and look for examples where there, there seems to be a divine um, decree or divine purpose for someone to, to disobey the government authority. So I found two really good examples we're going to talk about. There are very few in the Bible, to be honest with you. Um, there's a lot of civil disobedience in the Bible. Um, you look at, you know, the, the um, various time frames of the kings, um, and there was a lot of, of sin and, and um, disobeying God's authority. Um, but for, for good examples of when we should be civil, civilly disobedient, um, I want to think of two examples. Now, turn, if you can, to Exodus, because we're going to, Exodus chapter 1, if you have a Bible, and we're going to have the verses up there, but I like to get into the word myself. And, and, and um, so we, we, we get to the beginning of Exodus and we have a story in the first um, several, several verses. If you know the story, it, you know, you begin with there's a new pharaoh in the land, a new king. He doesn't remember this, this Joseph, the famous Joseph, um, who saved the Israelites and the, and the Egyptians from a, a severe seven-year famine. Memories are short, good deeds are lost, and this pharaoh forgets about that. And, and he looks around his land, and he's concerned. He's got a bit of an overpopulation issue. There's a lot of Israelites crowding out his land, and he starts to get concerned that they might overtake um, you know, and, and resist their, their authority in Egypt. So his first solution is he's going to work them to death. He, he ups the regiments, um, puts them in forced labor, and um, makes conditions very difficult. But, surprisingly, they multiply. You know, and, 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 that's, and that's even more concerning to him. So he has, a, he has a better idea. He has a better idea. And if you turn with me to, to Exodus 1, 15 through 16, we'll read it. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. So these two Hebrew midwives are, are given a command, okay, to take innocent lives. That's, that's very obviously something that God commands his people not to do. It is recorded in the laws. He, this is passed on from, um, you know, from, from Joseph and all the way through. They know it is obviously wrong to kill another human being, let alone an innocent child. So what do they do? Well, in verse 17, it said, but the, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them but they let the male children live. 
So they definitely were putting their lives at risk here. They knew that the most powerful person in, in the country and in the land was commanding them to do something that they were going to disobey. So what happened? Well, in the next four verses, we see that the king of Egypt called the midwives in and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? This is one of those famous um, half-truth kind of situations where people question whether or not it's okay to lie. Um, and in this case, the midwives said to Pharaoh, well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So they, they gave him an excuse. And a lot of scholars spent a lot of time in ink on whether or not they were lying or there was a half-truth. or if it was, All that we, we want to know is the next two verses. They protected the lives. They made an excuse. And so God dealt, with, dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied. And they grew very strong. And what happened to the midwives? And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So we have a clear example, um, and thankfully this part of Israel's story ends well. It doesn't take long before there was another plot to killing children, and there's where Moses comes in a basket and all that stuff. We don't, we're not going to get into that, but this is the important part. They feared God over man, and they obeyed him in a very clear command. Okay, And you think of the examples of Rahab, right, in, in uh, the story in Joshua around defying the king of Jericho to hide two, two um, spies. And what happened there? Well, when the entire city of Jericho was destroyed, every living thing destroyed, she and her family were alive. And they were with, um, taken with the Israelites and live with them, and, and, and she is um, one of the long uh, names in, in history of the Bible now. So we also think of more recent stories. I think of, you know, ones that I studied in school where you think of the courage of Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad and, and, and hiding runaway slaves to protect their lives. Um, you, you know, you think of the atrocities in World War II and the people that risked their lives to hide um, their Jewish friends or neighbors from the Nazis, um, protecting their lives. You know, there's, there's a lot of good examples like that. Um, thankfully, I, I haven't seen any more recent examples, but that, that's the kind of stuff that's going on around this world. There's a lot that we don't see here in this country. Now, the second exception, you can turn to the New Testament, um, the book of Acts, Acts 5. And again, we're going to read these, these verses. This is a really good exception um, to the rule, and it's, a, and it's a well-known story. So I'm going to summarize what, what, what led us up to this story, because there's a lot of, a lot of um, story behind this. Peter and John healed a lame man, um, got taken before the council, were given a little bit of heat for what they were doing and preaching the word of God and, and spreading the gospel, and they were threatened and they were commanded not to preach. But they went back out and they did it again. And when they were preaching in the temple, they drew a large crowd. And, and it was interesting. I found, you know, you see in, in verses 17 and 18, it basically says that the high priest and all who were with him were filled with jealousy. That they were drawing this crowd and, and preaching the gospel. And they decided to arrest the apostles again and put them into prison. 
So they throw him into prison, not many days after the first time they were threatened. And what happened during the night? Anybody remember the story? There's a little angel jailbreak. And an angel breaks him out of jail. And they, first thing in the morning, go right back out and start preaching again. We know that Peter had a thick head, and, and this time it was for a good reason. And so he went right back out and started preaching. And there was all this confusion the next morning. The high priest and the council, they didn't know where, where these guys were, where the apostles were. And, and so they were wondering, how in the world did they get out of this prison? I mean, if you could think about back then, if you were a soldier in charge of guarding prison uh, inmates, you let them out, you died. So there, there was not a, a really good explanation for how they got out. But the, but the prison was empty. Finally, somebody told them, and so they went back to the temple grounds and, and arrested them again, brought them in front of the council. And here's where we're going to pick up in our story. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What did Peter say? This is a well-known line. Um, Peter, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. So they decided to trust in God and his convictions. They decided to follow Jesus' command to keep preaching the gospel, to make disciples, even at the risk of their lives. And they knew that, that the council had it out for them. They were very angry after this, and they wanted to kill them. And if you remember in the story, there was a wise Pharisee who, who persuaded them to let them go because he said, well, you know, there's been many revolts and if, if, if we kill these guys and they're martyrs, this could be a big, big issue. Let's just threaten them once again. So they beat them. Um, they flogged them. Uh, very, uh, very brutal uh, way. And, and they sent them on their way. And this is, for me, uh, you know, I read it and it, and it humbles me every time I read it. Verses 41 and 42. It says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Those verses I, I have used to, used to hang up on my wall when I was in high school to just remember, like, are you afraid of speaking and preaching the good news even when you're made fun of? This is a very clear example. And I think of, um, you know, coming back to the stories about Nazi Germany, if you know the story of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it's a great, great read. You know, here's a man, and, and he and only a few in Nazi German, Germany from the, the confessing church, they, they continued to preach despite um, persecution and threats from the Nazi government. Um, and they fought the Nazification of the evangelical, the German evangelical church. And they fought that. And, and many, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, were arrested and eventually executed um, in a concentration camp for, for standing for their faith. So, these are dramatic examples. We have two really good ones. Protection, protection of innocent life, preaching the gospel and the word, following um, you know, God's commandment to, to make disciples. Those are things that, that we have to 
We have to, have to, have to defend. And I think of these stories, they're very dramatic, and, and even just some of those more modern examples. Most of us won't face those, I hope, um, in this country. But there are a lot of people, like I said, in Afghanistan, around the world, that are facing these life and death decisions every day. In fact, I, I read a survey said that an annual survey about religious freedoms found that 80% of um, Christians around the world are experiencing serious attacks on their faith, either from the government or, or just the civil society in general. Um, and, you know, most of you feel this. If, if you, um, you know, are maybe over the age of 30 or whatever, you, you feel the progression in our country, right? And if the trajectory doesn't change, I don't think maybe it'll be life or death. Um, it might be more subtle situations that we're going to come across, but we will, we will probably come across situations that are just as important to stand up for the word of God, the, um, the truth, right? And, and those are situations I can see more than ever that are going to come up probably in our, in our lifetime. Um, I, I read something as I was studying. There's generally four stages of progression in religious, and, um, religious discrimination and persecution, it starts with social marginalization, then it's economic discrimination, then it's legal discrimination, and finally, it's violence. And in some countries, we're, we're already full-blown into the violence stage, um, and, and we, we can think of and pray about um, believers in those countries. But for here, what do we, what do, where do we think we are? I was trying to do kind of a, a test, and it, it's a little all over the place. Definitely social marginalization, I think, you look at the media, you know, and, and, and um, specifically, I mean, I, I, it's like the topic that never goes away, obviously, but gender identity, uh, you know, some of these questions. There's, there's a lot of um, economic, uh, or I'm sorry, social marginalization in the area of if you have these beliefs, um, you're, you're a bigot or you, you know, are a hate monger. Um, and, I, and I think ours done a great job as we've approached some of these topics. We love our, our brothers and sisters of all kinds. We love everyone. But we, we have to preach from the word about what is sin and what's not sin. So those, those things come across and get us into um, some, some pressure. From an economic perspective, I know, you know many of those headline stories, um, there are certain industries that have come under some economic pressure where you think about the wedding industry, um, you know, people that would not perform homosexual marriages and so forth and different things like that. That's where we get into some of this economic discrimination. And then more recently, um, you know, through the past couple years, there's been some progressive rules, uh, laws that are attempted to be passed in Congress and in different, um, you know, in, in some cases in the states. You think of the, the um, Equality Act or the um, Do No Harm Act. If you don't know those, re do a little research. They're, they're definitely um, laws that could put some serious limits on our, on our religious freedoms. Um, you know, and I think we've talked about this as an elder leadership team. You know, and if and when the day comes, we have to preach the truth. We have to stand up for the truth, and we're not, we're not going to back down from that ever. And, you know, in our country, it is kind of a little bit crazy if you think about it. We as a church have what's called a tax-exempt status, okay? Um, you know, we, we don't have to pay uh, property taxes because we're a nonprofit religious organization. If you make a donation to this church, you get a tax deduction. 
And really at this point, those are the freedoms that are being put at risk. And I laugh a little bit about that as much as I do like the benefits we get. We're in a country that actually still protects um, a church and, and exempts them. And so we, we have to put these things into perspective and we have to be willing to slide aside those protections if we need to stand out um, and, and stand up for what is truth. Now, how do we appropriately, you individually, we as a church, how would we appropriately deal with these situations where you have to disobey authority? I'm going to run through three quick principles, and they're really important. And, and the main story, turn to the book of Daniel. We're going right back to the Old Testament. And I'm going to highlight two, two stories in his life, okay? And, and, they, and they show us these three basic principles, and they're, they're pretty easy. Last week, we kind of touched on this, but first and foremost, you must be a model citizen. You must live life as a model citizen. And we saw that in, in the whole book of Romans 12. That's a model citizen. If you can uphold, um, you know, returning evil, or, uh, returning evil with good, blessing those who persecute you, we would be a model citizen. And most of us won't face that obey God or man situation. So for most of us, we have to try to play in the space of obeying God and man. Now, in Daniel, he didn't have uh, such an easy road. We, we look at an issue where there were several um, leaders who were angry at Daniel because the king favored him above everyone else. So if you turn to Daniel 6.5, we find that the only issue they could find about Daniel is his devotion to God. It says in, in the verse, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Boy, what a life. He, he's, a, he's a bar way high for all of us to think about because he lived an open life. He had no skeletons in his closet. They couldn't find a single thing. And a good reputation for us goes a long way, too. I think of in our country, again, we have freedoms, we have opportunities. So what do we do with those? Well, if we can live an exemplary life and we vote because we must vote according to biblical standards. We can advocate and speak truth anytime we want for innocent lives. We have that freedom and we should use that. And also I think of like Daniel, he was in the employ of the king, right? He was in a government job. We need more Christians who are willing to serve in government jobs and to stand up for truth and biblical morale and morals. And if you think about it, the PTA could use a, another couple Christians, right? Your schools, your school boards, state and local governments. If we live an exemplary life and we're part of this society helping to shape it, we can do the most good by living a life that's godly. The second principle is that we only disobey when we've done everything we can to resolve the issue. Everything you can. And I'm going to get into that because I think most people want to jump the gun and disobey before they even look at, well, is there an exemption? Can I do something about this? And we're going to look at Daniel 1. So Daniel 1, the setting for that is Nebuchadnezzar, the famous King Nebuchadnezzar, takes captive several youths from Israel, if you remember. 
And part of their Chaldean brainwashing program is they feed the king's food and they give them the best education in the land. Not a bad way to be a captive, in, in my opinion. But we see in the beginning of that story, uh, Daniel 1.8, there's a problem. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And, and I think, you know, the first thought is what's wrong with food fit for a king? I mean, and wine. I mean, you know, wine makes the heart happy or whatever. The problem for him is that as a Jew, right, he had, God commanded them to not eat, and cer- eat certain unclean foods and also to not eat food uh, that was sacrificed to an idol. So you have a situation here where to eat would be to compromise. So what did he do? Well, it said that he went on a hunger strike, defamed the king, and revolted against the... Be- no, no, that's, that's something I, I think we'd do here. But second part of verse 8 says, therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Okay, he goes to the... The man in charge, good old Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuch. Um, I was going to name my first child Ashpenaz, but Julie disagreed with that. But Ashpenaz was fearful. He said, well, wait a minute. If you don't look healthy like the rest of these guys, I'm going to lose my head to the king. You know, I like you and everything. You're a nice guy, but I'm not going to risk my life for you. So what did Daniel say? He asked him, he said, give me 10 days my friends and I, let us eat vegetables and water. Many of you probably would prefer not to have that diet. That sounds kind of good to me. If you know me, I love my vegetables. Um, and so what happened? Let's, let's pick up in, in verses 14 through 16. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better And they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. So his plan worked. God blessed him, obviously, supernaturally. And, and, you know, you think about it. He had a good reputation. The man was willing to listen to him. He sought an exemption, and it worked. It worked, guys. He didn't have to disobey he could continue obeying God and man at the same time and didn't have a, a tricky situation. And that's not always going to happen, but that is what we need to do first and foremost. And now we come to this story that you might still remember from the beginning. I intentionally left a little, little bit of a hanger there. Well, I, I dug in on the story, and really it's an interesting one, um, and it proves this point very clearly. The California Tax Department sent this to all nonprofits, and they, it was really probably somebody not thinking very clearly. And it was basically saying, if we sign this, we as a church or a nonprofit will not engage in political activities. Essentially, you know, to keep our tax-exempt status, we will be a church and not a political organization. So a couple churches took issue with that, and they just wrote on the form, unless situations disagree or conflict with the Bible and the Word of God, We will comply. Otherwise, we must um, follow God. They wrote that on the form, signed it, sent it in. They were fine. Had no problems at all. Um, But all the churches that just said, we're not going to sign it. We protest your form. We're going to do what we want. Well, those are the ones that after after their tax-exempt status was removed, 
and they suffered the consequence. They refused to pay their taxes, and then they were shut down after many attempts to keep them in compliance. So it wasn't quite the story I thought I had stumbled upon, okay? And, you know, it's funny because there was a Christian attorney that took um, great interest in this story, too, and he, he flew on out to Sacramento, explained the whole situation, not even at the request of these churches that were shut down, and he actually was able to talk to the, the people from the State Department, reason with them, tell them what really happened, and they reworded the form, and the churches that were shut down were able to come back into compliance and reopen. We still live in a government where those conflicts can be resolved, and I think there are many situations where that might not be the case, but if you're in your, in your company, if you're in, you know, a government position, if, if we're faced with a situation, we, we must try to comply and, and to f- seek exemptions and, and exceptions to rules and, and do our best to, to obey um, and still humbly submit, okay? Now, if all else fails, and those will be the times um, we were talking about the, the worst case scenarios, you've done everything you can, then you just need to humbly face the consequences and remain respectful and peaceful. And that's really the calling that we as Christians have. Um, you know, bless those who persecute you. And, and that's not an easy task. But we'll see in, in the latter half of the, the book of uh, Daniel, chapter 6, you see that, the rest of that famous story. Daniel and the lion's den, nearly everybody knows it. But we look at the situation where these guys convince the king, hey, make it illegal for anyone anywhere to pray or worship anyone but you, king. And he, he loved that. He thought that sounded good a couple days as God and king. So he passed the law, making it irrevocable. But Daniel, after hearing it, could do nothing. But he talked to his friends. They prayed. He prayed. And he got caught praying. And he wasn't quiet about it. If you think about it, he had his windows open. He just kept doing what he was supposed to do. He he obeyed God. And unfortunately, he was punished, but he respectfully submitted, thrown into a a hungry den of lions. And what happened? So we turn to verse 21. By then, the king figured out he was was being duped, but he had no way around it. So he ran to the lion's den, hoping by a miracle that this Daniel would still be alive. And what does he say? What does Daniel say to him? It's, it's funny. It's, it's not a sarcastic comment. You can read sarcasm into it, but it was respectful. Then Daniel spoke to the king. He says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him and also toward you. O king, I have committed no crime. He was respectful even in the end. Now, in his case, and this definitely won't always be the case, he got a promotion out of the deal. And his conspiratorial, uh, conspiratorial friends, uh, the people that were trying to get him killed, actually ended up eaten alive before they even hit the floor of the lion's den. So, a good ending to that story. But what, what does this all really mean for us? I, I think the main thing I want to I wanna distill for you is there are going to be cut and dry situations. There probably most of us won't face them regularly or anytime soon. But, you know, innocent lives, the defense of the gospel, the truth of, of the word, um, where you must disobey if it means violating God's commands. It, it's simple. 
I think of maybe just a little bit more reasonable situations you might come across. If you're told to lie at work or to cover something up or to fudge numbers for profits, those kind of things, that's a pretty obvious obey God, don't sin, don't lie. Um, if you're told you can't bring your Bible to work or you, you can't share the gospel in school, well, those are those situations where we must obey God over man. And those are more likely scenarios. Or again, if our church is put in a situation where there's certain things that we're not allowed to speak about in church that God commands us to speak about, well, then that, that will remain our number one priority. So those are pretty clear-cut cut situations. And very simply, it, you know, there is a threefold way to do that, and we, we just talked about that. Be peaceful, respectful, model citizens, do everything you can but then humbly uh, submit and take your punishment. Now, here's the thing I think many of us right now are finding ourselves in. What about those not-so-clear-cut situations? And there are many of them out there. And I'm not going to even mention any of them because I don't want hate mail. <laughs> no, but there are many that are just non-essential situations for us right now, and we need to, we need to approach them as, as believers. Um, the way a believer should. And, and one, the women learned it yesterday, the power of prayer. Pray before you do something stupid. Pray before you do something bold. Pray before you do something. That is always the answer. Okay? Do not rush into anything where you're disobeying authority or government and you're not clear. Remember we talked about our trusty instrument of the word of God and the Holy Spirit's guidance Trust those. Go to the Word. Study the Word. God speaks to us, even if it's not specifically your case. God speaks to you. He gives you that confirmation when you speak to Him through prayer. He speaks to you through the Word, through the Holy Spirit's discernment. And then another trusty way, seek the counsel of wise, godly believers. People who have made a lifetime of decisions that were godly and wise. Not fools. Do not seek the, the wisdom of fools. But in the end, I said it last time, the, the, even in the worst case scenarios, this is not your home, guys. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a temporary resident in earth. Our home is in heaven. We are strangers and aliens here, and we cannot take our eyes off of the fact that our primary goal is to spread the love of God, the gospel, to bring God glory. Politics, government, all that stuff is a background issue for us as believers. It's just background. Okay? So don't lose sight of that. And remember the story I told you last week. You had a situation of this guy, Georgie Vins, in the Soviet Union. I found, as I researched him a little bit more, a really interesting life, and, and a man that put his life on the line all the time for the Lord. He learned it from his dad. He learned it from his dad. So we as parents and leaders can, can teach right now while, while these situations are just brewing or right now before things get worse in this country, teach them the priority of following the Lord for the right reasons, focusing on the right things. And don't distract your kids or the people that you're mentoring or, or discipling. Don't, don't distract them with the noise, the nonsense. Keep them focused. This man, Peter, in the 30s, uh, um, 1930s, in atheistic Soviet Union, he was a huge target 
for the, the, the secret police at that time, pre-KJB. KGB, sorry. And um, they, they threatened them, leave the country, and then you'll retain your citizenship, quit preaching, get out of here. But he chose to stay. He forfeited his American citizenship and continued to be persecuted from the government, thrown into jail three times. Each time they, they took him out, it was like Peter and, and John and the apostles. Every time they threw him out, they, they threatened him. Don't preach the word anymore. Do not sh share the gospel in this country. And he did it again. And he did it again and again. And the last time was in 1935. He was arrested. And this time he was sentenced for 10 years in prison in a, in a labor camp. Never, never heard of again. Never found again. Most people believe he died in 1943. And he was willing to, to... These are the things that we really must be willing to die for, folks. These are the things we focus our energies on. And as believers, if we're united around the real, true, fundamental things that God calls us to, to love and to protect, that's when we're going to make the biggest impact. Now, the one thing, though, I don't want to leave here today, and I don't want to end this conversation without thinking of this. When we talk about government, authority, rules, the most important question we should be asking ourselves is not, what are my rights? What are my freedoms? But am I right? Am I right? Am I right with God? If you think about that, I think of for you as a believer, are you right with God right now? Are you living a life where we're in right relationship with him? If you're not a believer, are you in a right relationship with God? Have you understood what that means? Because, you know, we're not going to face, many of us will not face a judge here on earth, but every one of us, when we die, we will face the sovereign judge of the world. We will all stand before God. And he is the authority over right and wrong, right? We can have our, our rules here on earth, but he is the divine authority, creator of the universe. And so that judge, he judges justly, always. Justice is his character, it's his nature. But also so is love, love and mercy. And I, you know, I think... It's interesting, as, as I was really meditating on this section and disobedience and obey God, you know, I think about the fact that God sent his son, right, to save rebellious sinners. He was born of a virgin so that he was God and man. So he was 100% God, 100% man. And I don't know this side of heaven what that fully means, but he lived a sinless, perfect life and still he was crucified by who? Godless rulers and authorities here on earth. Sinners. The only sinless lamb. And he did that for you. He did that for me. And we, we, we don't often think about, you know, in the context of obedience and, and rulers, he, he really perfectly obeyed the sovereign God of the universe. Every rule every thought every deed and he made atonement for us by dying on that cross and the cool thing is for all of us the third day when he rose again his resurrection guarantees that we will be resurrected 
through no merit of our own. And I think about that, and I, and I think that's really the key question here for us. When we die, if we died today, if you stand before that judge, are you going to say, I, I, I was a pretty good citizen, did the best I could, you know, I helped out as much as I could, I think I did more good than bad. Uh, hopefully, that's not the case. Hopefully, you can say with me, only by the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ am I here. And that's the only way we can, we can be acceptable before the true sovereign judge of the world. So don't leave here today without getting the right answer to that question. Now, as, as I pray, after I pray, we're going to have one, one more song. And we always have prayer warriors up um, against the wall. I think in the topic of government, it would be great for you to come up, pray for our government, our world. Or if you have something, you know, personal that you want to pray about. There is a lot of power in prayer. It, you don't have to be nervous. We, uh, we really value prayer here. So let's bow. Lord God, I thank you so much that you are the sovereign over this universe. Governments come, governments go. We've seen some horrible governments. We've seen some favorable governments. But all of that is in your hands, Lord. It was in your plan from the beginning. You have used ruthless nations. You have used our nation. And you've used us, Lord. And we thank you for just the freedoms we have um, that we truly can, for the most part, obey with cheerfulness here in this country. We know that we have many freedoms. And we know that many have fought for those freedoms. Many have protected those freedoms. And we value them greatly. We just continue to ask you to turn our hearts and our minds to what really matters in our lives, Lord. That we would just focus most about sharing the gospel, spreading the news, the good news that your son has come and offered a way to make us right with you, Lord. I just humbly submit before your authority, Lord. We just ask that you protect us, give us wisdom in this, this chaotic world, give us peace. In your most precious name I pray, amen.